I'm a child of God. Have in my hand. Powerful word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. And save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus today. Speak to me. In Jesus name. Amen. I reach over there and hug your neighbor. And if you're by yourself, hug yourself. That'd be good. Might be the best hug you've ever had. Those Bibles you held up, turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. I have about six minutes to get this sermon done, so here we go. Therefore, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to the sharing of God's glory. We read those earlier. Verse 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And verse 5, and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Chuck Swindoll, famous preacher and writer, said this, The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts, than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do, than appearances, than giftedness or skill. It, it will make a, or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one thing we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. I believe that with all of my heart, don't you? Attitude determines everything. If you get up and say it's going to be a bad day, it's going to be. But if you get up and say it's going to be a great day, no matter what happens to you, it's still a great day. Because God's still on the throne. That's the great news. He'll never get off the throne. Hallelujah. <laughs> so we don't have to worry about the rest of it because he's on the throne. Swindoll is very right. It's not what happens to us that's important. It's how we respond to what happens to us. I told my boys growing up, you make choices every day. And every choice you make has a consequence, both good or bad. You make the choice. Now, if you add things to the choices, then it usually ends in a bad way. If you add things to it, anger or whatever, the choice is not going to be so good. But if you get up and make a right attitude and a right choice, good things will come from it. Believe it with all my heart. Some were willing to believe and work hard in spite of great disadvantages. I've, I've met those people, haven't you? Some have been from privilege, and it seems like they didn't have to work very hard to get what they got. But I've watched those that struggle and notice that they, they have something that others don't, and that's attitude. They get up and they make sure that they go at it 100%, whatever it is, whatever it is. I've watched uh, with some tears through the Christmas season as they, the sports shows would show athletes who've overcome adversity and those adversities they've overcome. 
Maybe they were in a car wreck or something that paralyzed them from the waist down. Well, they went into wheelchair basketball. It's just all kinds of things that people do. It all depends on your attitude. You can decide to quit or you can decide to get up and make it better. It all depends on you. But I think there's some key areas that our attitude in life can be affected by. The first is be authentic. Be authentic. On the back side of your prayer list is the outline. Be authentic. In other words, be real. Be yourself. Authenticity is an attitude of honesty and humility. Just be who you are. I went through a year process of trying to get a CDL license so I could drive our 25-passenger people mover. I checked in. I went up to, the, to, the, uh, to be tested. They handed me a questionnaire, and I was to honestly answer the questionnaire. Nobody checked my background. I circled diabetes. They said, Are you, do you take insulin? I said, yes. They said, well, then you have to get a waiver from the National Transportation Board in Washington, D.C. Told me who I need to contact. Did all that. It was a year process, going every three months to my endocrinologist to have him fill out a report on my blood sugars and all of that, my, my uh, annual doctor uh, physical, so he'd fill out a form. My eye doctor uh, had to fill out a form every year. Did that. I've been doing that. Went to get my license, went through everything, got past every test, got to the tag agency to find out that I never should have been able to take the test in the first place. And all they could tell me was, well, normally people... Don't follow through when they have to go through all of that, but you did. I said, so I'm penalized for telling you the truth. I could have got really mad. And it still bugs me. Somebody ought to give me some money back. Amen? I won't see any. The little girl offered to drive our bus for me anytime I needed it because she felt so bad. So I thought about fixed up about eight trips just to make her come drive. No, I but be authentic. I mean, I could have lied. Honestly, I could have lied on that. And I wonder, it makes me wonder how many people out there are driving, carrying passengers who take insulin who never said yes. But that's okay. Because I want to be authentic. I want to be real. And I want you to be real. You know me. Those of you that have been in this church, you know me. And you still come. And I'm grateful that you come. And you, you still, you know me. I hope I'm a much better preacher and pastor than I was 17 years ago when I came here. I hope and pray that I am. I hope I've improved. I hope I've grown. I hope I've matured. We're not supposed to wear masks around people. Be the same in public as you are in private. We have 38 people here today. That's quite a substantial lowering of what we normally have on a Sunday. But I suspect last night was a late night for a number of folks. Amen. I'm sure they were all in Bible study and prayer meetings, of course. We know that. And felt they were caught up for the day. One of the disappointing things about national religious leaders in recent years is that we found out that they have two different lives. Amen? And it's sad, isn't it? It's hard to hide secrets, parts of your life, and the bigger the secret, the harder it is to hide. And the harder it is to hide, the more dysfunctional your life becomes. David is a great example in the Bible of a man who tried to hide a secret part of his life. But it comes out. It comes out. 
Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You know, we can fool ourselves, but you can't fool God. It's kind of like mom. You can't fool her. <laughs> There's something about having a child that changes mothers, changes women. I mean, just like that. They get eyes in the back of their head. They know when you've done something stupid. Of course, it helps if you have chocolate cookie stuff all over your face. Who's been in the cookies? I don't know. I mean, it helps. Paul described a wonderful description of love in 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to talk about that in February. It's a great chapter. So what we see is that in God's kingdom, we are fully known by God and others, but fully loved by God and others. And that's really important. Be authentic. Be who you say you are. A second key attitude that we need to have is to be more healthy. We need to be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. You can't be of good cheer if you are constantly thinking about how bad and terrible the world is. We live in a tough, tough time. Jobs are scarce. People are concerned. People want to work. And then there's others who don't want to work. They're, they're completely satisfied with the handout and give it to me. Somehow they think they owe it. We owe it to them or somebody owes it to them. They come by the church. They don't want me to give them food from our pantry. They want me to put money in their hand. Can't do it. Can't do it. You know, we get so focused on the end of things that we forget that Jesus came to live now. We keep talking about the end of the world and yet... We need to stop and remember that Jesus is alive and well right now. He puts more focus in us and we should put more focus in Him because of all the circumstances around us. It's going to be a great year. Depends on you. Talked to a young man just the other day. He got laid off from his job. He's devastated. Two children. Rent. Car payment. I, yeah, I understand. And he's sending tears in, in my office and he's going, what am I going to do? And I said, well, first of all, you need to praise the Lord. He used to look at me like I was an absolute idiot. I said, you see, it it's not determined so much about what you have. It's determined on the relationship that you do have. You get this one working right. This one works right. You got to get right. He's, well, I haven't been right with God. I said, okay, it's a good starting place, isn't it? If you get right with God, not everything's going to straighten out just hunky-dory and all of a sudden you're going to be a six-figure employee and, you know, no, no cares in life. I'm sorry, it just doesn't happen. But you'll handle it different. Amen? you handle it different. Because it could all change tomorrow. It could change today. On your way home, you could have a car accident and it changes today. See, we have no guarantee of tomorrow. We can't, handle, we can't do anything with the past that's why it's called the present. It's a gift. Enjoy the gift. God loves us. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Ran across a book written by a popular Christian author. And I can't remember his name. 
But the title of the book was The Last Christian Generation. And he says in the book, if trends continue, the next generation of the church will not even be right, rightfully called Christian. And I must have missed something because I didn't know that this generation was Christian. The behaviors I've seen, the actions I've seen, I don't see a lot of Christianity being shown out there. I see people fighting over $200 Air Jordan shoes. Those were so 90s. But because the woman in line who could afford to pay for the shoes, she was beat up by the woman who, who got in the line who couldn't afford the shoes, so she stole them from the girl that could because she wanted the shoes, so she beat her up right there in the line. And everybody else did what? Don't want to get involved. Somebody should have been forming that woman across the head and saying, leave her alone. What's wrong with you? Oh, she'd have pulled a gun out and shot you dead or in the duck. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up in the aisles of, in the aisles of Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> you believe good or evil's winning the day? Seems like evil does. And if you believe evil is winning the day, then you're saying that evil is stronger than good. The devil is more powerful than God. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. You don't have to worry about it. Your king has already won. You just got to sit back and relax. Stay close to him. And good things are going to come. Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. It may look like the kingdom of God isn't moving forward. Oh, it's moving forward. When a 68-year-old man who says, I'm finally going to give my heart to Jesus, I'm telling you, there's still time. I'm grateful for a patient, long-suffering God. But when I got to my uncle's funeral, I found out why my brother finally made that decision. Because my aunt, I told her, I said, I, didn't, I don't know if he's ever been in church. She said, oh, yes, he was. Oh, yes, he was. He was sitting on the front row at the Church of Christ. Well, now I know where he got it. The seed was planted in that young heart. It didn't, it didn't bloom until he's 68. But it was planted. Amen? That's why we need young people. That's why we need volunteers to teach young people the truths of God's Word. It's like leaven in the dough that does its work secretly. It's like the seed planted in the ground which grows unseen. It's like God appearing to Elijah, not in the earthquake, the wind, or the fire, but in a gentle whisper. In a gentle whisper. Jurgen Moltmann said this, Expectation makes life good, for in expectation we can accept our whole present and find joy not only in its joy, but also in its sorrow. Happiness not only in its happiness, but also in its pain. Thus hope goes on its way through the midst of happiness and pain, because in the promises of God it can see a future also for the transient, the dying, and the dead. That's why it can be said that living without hope is like no longer living. Hell is hopelessness, and it is not... It is not for nothing that at the entrance to Dante's hell there stands the words, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. So if you end up in hell, there is no hope for you. You better make it happen prior to getting there. Christians are people of hope. John fifteen eleven. Jesus said He came so that His joy would live in us. His joy would live in us. So when you're in a line, checkout line, somebody's fighting to get in front of you, let them go. 
Just let them go in front of you. And they argue and they spit and they sputter and they're, oh, they're angry people. Just pull out some candy out of your bag and start eating it. I've never seen them recall chocolate, have you? In the movie Lord of the Rings, there's a wonderful scene where Frodo the Hobbit is discouraged because of all the adversity he's going through. As they sit deep in the minds of Moriah, Frodo says to Gandalf, I, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf says to him, so do all those who live to see such times. But that's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that has given to us. There are other forces at work, Frodo, than the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you also were meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. Frodo's attitude changed when he realized that God's hand was at work in his life and that even the difficult circumstances could not deter God's plan. Proverbs 17.22, A cheerful heart is good medicine. Four years ago, we sat in a hospital waiting for Kelsey to be born. We were all hoping before midnight. And shortly after midnight, here she came. How do moms go through all of that and then turn around and go, I'd like to have another one? To go through it again and then they'll say, I want another one. It's just a gift God puts in women. He does. It's an amazing thing. But a cheerful heart is good medicine and there was nothing greater for Cindy and myself as we sat and listen to that baby cry the first time. Nothing better. Nothing better. This didn't make it to your outline, but it's the third key to attitude. And I want you to write it down. Be aware of God. Be aware of God. A preacher and his wife were driving through the countryside. She says to him, did you see that sign in the yard? And he said he'd missed it. She said, it says Jesus is coming. The preacher smiled. He says, I've got better news. He's already here. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, so many people focus on the second coming that they forget that He's here right now. He's here right now to lift you up. We keep Him on the cross for so much we can't have any victory. Get Him off the cross. Let Him live in you. He laughed so His Spirit would come and fill you and lift you and guide you and direct you. Let Him do it. I don't like the way He's taking me. Well, <laughs> wake up. Wake up. He's not gone away. He's right here. read a quote by a guy named Brennan Manning. He said, I believe that the real difference in the American church is not between conservatives and liberals, fundamentalists and charismatics, nor between Republicans and Democrats. The real difference is between the aware and the unaware. When somebody is aware of that love, that same love that the Father has for Jesus, that person is just spontaneously grateful. Cries of thankfulness become the dominant characteristic of the interior life and the byproduct of gratitude is joy. So when you're not joyful, then become grateful. And when you're grateful, that will make you joyful. Learn to get up and be grateful for every moment of every day that God has given you to enjoy. I love it when we get a chance to spend time with our granddaughter. Corey was watching me interact with Kelsey and he said dad I hope you're not going to give all that away before mine come <laughs> oh I'm, I'm going to live for that day 
I've got to see this one. Got to, God, you've got to hold me on. I may be in a coma, but wake me up enough to see that one. But you know what? I'm glad that he saw that, and I'm glad that he said that, because that said something about how grateful I am. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for our church. I'm grateful for Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins. And I'm grateful that I have children that love Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for a wife that loves me in spite of who I am. Uh, Don Vocal got, a, got an A-plus this morning when he said we were having church at 11 and Pat didn't believe him. She called me. And then as she was hanging up, I heard her say, well, I guess he was right today. <laughs> I told him, I said, savor it, brother, because those won't come very often. <laughs> but boy, we'll take a victory every day. Amen. Be grateful. Be grateful, folks, for what God's done. It was 1741, and an old man was wandering the streets of London. His name was George Frederick Handel. At this point, he was an angry man. In his life, his mind kept going back to the time when he was famous and had the applause of royalty and the elite of London and now his mind was full of despair and hopelessness about the future because the applause was gone. Others were now in the spotlight and envy began to possess him. Added to that, a cerebral hemorrhage paralyzed his right side. He could no longer write and doctors gave little hope for recovery. The old composer traveled to France, began to soak in the baths which were said to have healing effects. The hot mineral baths seemed to help and his health began to improve and eventually he was able to write once more. Success returned. Then he faced another reversal. Queen Caroline, who had been his staunch supporter, died, and England found itself on hard economic times and heating large auditoriums for concerts not permitted. His performances were canceled, and he began to wonder where God was. Then one night, as he returned from his walk, Charles Jennings was waiting at his home. Jennings explained that he had just finished writing a text for a musical that covered both the Old and New Testaments, and believed that Handel was the man to set it to music. Handel was indifferent as he began to read the words which Jennings had put together, but then his eyes fell on such words as he was despised, rejected of men. He looked for someone to have pity on him, but there was no man. Neither found he any to comfort him. His eyes raced ahead uh, to the words he trusted in God, and God did not leave his soul in hell. He will give you rest. And finally, Handel's eyes stopped on these words, I know that my Redeemer liveth. At that moment, he became aware of God's presence. He was aware in a new and profound way, and he picked up his pen, and the Spirit of God was moving, and the music seemed to flow through him, finished the first part in only seven days, and the second section in six days. Many will remember that when the classical work was first performed in London, and the Hallelujah Chorus was sung by the, king, by the choir, King George II, so moved, he stood to his feet. And to this very day, people still rise to their feet when that song is sung in praise to God. When you reflect on Handel's Messiah, there was a man named Joseph McCabe who wrote, Never again are we to look at the stars as we did when we were children and wonder how far it is to, to God. A being outside our world will be a spectator looking on but taking no part in this life where we try to be brave despite all the bafflement. A God who created and withdrew could be mighty, but He could not be loved. 
Who could love a God remote when suffering is our lot? Our God is closer than our problems, for they are out there to be faced. He is here beside us, Emmanuel. God, today, would you help us to understand that attitude makes all the difference? You're not some cosmic creature far away. You're right here, sitting next to us, holding our hands. God, would we understand out of an attitude of gratitude, let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Being grateful that you came, grateful that you died, grateful that you rose again. And because of that resurrection, we have hope. So God, may we establish an attitude of gratitude on this first day of the new year and move forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We always offer an invitation, and we will do that now. God's moving you, and you may need to reestablish your attitude toward God. This would be a great time to do it. If you need Jesus as to be your Savior, I'd love to sit down and talk with you and teach you. If you'd like to be a part of our church, be a member here, I'd still like to teach you about that as well. Just let me know, which whatever your decision might be, as we stand and sing together this great song of commitment.